Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. The book of 2 Kings, if you have your Bibles, chapter 5, I want you to turn there with me. In the Bible, it says uh, many times uh, in the Bible, several times, God was with him. Now, this is a particular and important statement. And uh, what that has to do with is that, uh, and this is used several times, it's used deliberately, and God was with him. In the kingdom of God, if you're going uh, in a direction and uh, in, in the right direction, God is with you. If you're going in the wrong direction, doesn't make any difference uh, how many people you have. Doesn't make any difference how much money you have. Doesn't make any difference how many people are following you. If you're going in the wrong direction, you're on a dead-end road. You're not going anywhere. We're going to read tonight about a man that went nowhere. His name is Gehazi. He reminds me of many religious people today. Uh, what it reminds me of, you ever see one of these mazes that, you know, you go in one place and uh, you have to wander around and around and around and around if you ever get out on your own. You ever see one of those? Many people in the religious world remind me of somebody that are in a maze. They're busy. They are uh, involved in activity, but they're not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, they're on a dead-end road. And here in this scripture is such a man, and I want to preach about the man who went nowhere, Second Kings 5, beginning verse 14, I read these words. This is after the, uh, or involving the healing of Naaman the Syrian. You know the story, he comes down from Syria, uh, he uh, meets with Elisha, uh, he, uh, Elisha doesn't come out, tells him to go dip in the river. Uh, Jordan, seven times you'll be healed, and you know the story. And uh, here we pick it up in verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant, when my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then, then Elisha said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him for a short distance. But Gehazi 
The servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I'll run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, It's all well. And he said, All is well. My master sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the hill of the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your master did not go anywhere. King James says, Went nowhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you? When the man turned back from his chariot to meet you, is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, uh, white as snow. There's the story of the man who went nowhere. I want to give to you some insight into human nature that we find here. You know, man is a complex creature. We are told by those who study human personality that we have intellect, will, and emotion. These are all uh, elements of the soul. And the interesting thing about this is that these are linked in our personality to a spiritual nature that God has given to us. And that spiritual nature is affected by God's workings. As we look at the story that we have here tonight, here is a very apparent uh, 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 statement of this because we have Naaman and Naaman is healed by the power of God and he's deeply moved upon. And 2 Kings 5.15, he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, uh, Indeed, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Now, here's a profound insight into human personality. And that is that when we are impacted spiritually, it begins to affect our entire personality. And as Naaman is impacted, he responds as most people will. He wants to do something to reciprocate. And this is common in the Bible. In the book of Acts, in chapter 14, verse 11, Paul brings, rather, Peter brings healing no, it was Paul, brings healing to the man at Lystra, the man who was crippled. And as this happens to him, the people say, gods have come down to us uh, and they want to do sacrifice to them and they want to worship them. And here we have this insight in human personality uh, because something happens uh, when men are uh, uh, and women are spiritually impacted. Now, uh, Naaman had come down from Syria. He was prepared with treasure. Verse 15 of second, uh, 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 verse 5 of 2 Kings 5 said, Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10,000 10, of silver, 6,000 uh, shekels of gold, and 10 changes uh, of clothing. So here, uh, if, uh, 
uh, date can be believed. Uh, in silver, he had $19,200. And in gold, he had $58,170. And he had 10 three-piece, all wool, virgin wool suits in his bag. And here he has this with him. And he's going to give this uh, as a gift. As he brought this with him, he's prepared to give. Now, Think about this for a moment because this gives us tremendous insight uh, into our own personality because spiritual impact uh, uh, is made in ministry. It has a powerful effect upon us and gratitude is a natural response. When we begin to understand that, uh, we begin to understand something that's very profound and yet something's very dangerous uh, that we're going to move on to. Uh, Melchizedek, uh, uh, the Bible says, uh, met Abraham as Abraham's coming out of the battle with the uh, five kings of Chedorlaomer and he had the spoils of war with him. And the Bible says uh, that Abraham gave him tithes uh, of all. There's a tendency in human personality to reciprocate uh, when they are touched by the power of God when they're genuinely moved and God reveals himself to them. Uh, uh, human beings are powerfully impacted and they generally want to uh, reciprocate in some way or other. We have Luke 7. We have the woman, the sinful woman in the house of Simon, the Pharisee. And the Bible says that she's moved. She receives a redemption, forgiveness of her sins. And she comes behind the Lord Jesus weeping. She takes the most valuable thing that she has, which is an alabaster box of precious ointment that would have been worth, a, they tell us, worth a year's wages. And she breaks this upon him in an act of worship because people are moved to reciprocate when they're touched by the power of God and by the hand of God. We have the three wise men. The Bible says that came, or the Magi that came to uh, the uh, place where Jesus was. They presented unto him gold and frankincense and myrrh because there is in human nature when they're genuinely moved in a spiritual dimension, there always is that element because of the qualities of our soul. We're impacted spiritually and it's linked to our spiritual nature and we find this expression uh, that is throughout the Bible, and this is what moved uh, on Naaman. The, the expression of the currency of this world uh, uh, or this world's treasure is as old as time. You can go throughout the world, you find the shrines, you find the temples. You find the religious uh, uh, paraphernalia always uh, is, uh, is uh, containing uh, gold and silver and uh, precious stones or, or uh, beautiful artwork of some kind or other because uh, people are moved in a spiritual dimension and they want to reciprocate uh, to uh, that. David comes to the threshing floor of Verona. He's going to uh, make a, uh, a sacrifice. He's going to stop the plague. And you know the story. The Bible says, uh, as he comes to Arana, Arana says to him, uh, you, you don't have to buy this from me. I'll furnish this. I'll furnish the sacrifice. I'll furnish the threshing floor. But the Bible says uh, that David refused to exploit this dimension, uh, but he paid for it uh, because he refused to exploit that. Uh, and here we see a profound dimension that I want to touch on tonight. Spiritual ministry, healing, 
deliverance, uh, 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 salvation always impacts mankind, uh, and they want to respond to that. And here is Naaman. Uh, he's touched by the power of God. His leprosy leaves his body, and he's moved deeply, and he wants to give and reciprocate. As a matter of fact, uh, he brought with him uh, these gifts uh, from the hand of the king of Syria to give. This brings us now to the temptation that is in uh, the religious world and especially uh, in gospel preaching to self-gratification. All of us have a drive to achieve. There is placed within us a God-given instinct, and that God-given instinct is an instinct uh, that we could call entrepreneurship, whereby we uh, we can see and analyze, we can uh, 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 see the opportunities. We can, because of the creativity that God has placed within us, uh, we have something that is in us uh, that God has given to accomplish and to excel. This is a God-given faculty as because of that, they were able to analyze, and as we're able to analyze, we begin to see things as they are. Uh, we have a movement to secure our future, to gather to better one's future, and their present. And because of that, uh, all the inventions that we have, we're in an air-conditioned building tonight. It's wonderful. We're not mopping sweat from body heat in here because we have an air-conditioned building. We have lights. I can see my notes tonight. You can see yours. You can see my face. I can see yours. All of these things are because of the creative ability that God has given mankind to analyze and want to better himself and to bring his talents to bear, to secure his future, to secure his comfort and all of these things. I was thinking about this little invention, this, what do they call the Sedgeway, this little electric scooter that they've invented. You can go up and down these things. And I think about that when I'm trudging through these airport corridors that some of them, I don't know why the flights I fly on, they always, it's the last one on the end. And, uh, you know, they, they could at least be close to the, to the baggage claim or somewhere I can leave. But, and I think about it, if I had one of those Sedgeways, you know, I could, I could just sail through there. And so uh, it's a marvelous little invention, but that was invented of somebody that, by somebody who didn't want to walk. He was an entrepreneur, and he begins to think about, this is what God has placed in man, this ability to analyze, uh, to secure his comfort, to secure his uh, future. And here's Gehazi. Gehazi uh, sees an opportunity. And the Bible says that he begins to seize upon this and he brings to it a religious rationalization. A rationalization. Now examine with me and think with me for a moment. Here he sees a man that is deeply impacted and he's, he's brought with him uh, a fortune. In those days, that would have been an absolute fortune. $19,000 in silver, $58,000 in gold, uh, three-piece virgin wool suits uh, cut, uh, 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 ready to roll. I mean, he would have been excited about that. And Gehazi saw this uh, and Naaman came prepared to give that uh, and, uh, uh, and Elisha, turns it all away, and he sees that, uh, and he sees an opportunity. Uh, and the Bible says in 2 Kings 5, 20 and 21, he says these words, but Hazai, the servant of, the, uh, of Elisha, the man of God, said, look, my master spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. Uh, but as the Lord lives, listen to that, but uh, he's bringing theology to bear here now. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? Now, 
Gehazi is the disciple with a better idea. There are those, you know. They have a better idea. Uh, uh, they, um, uh, no matter what you tell them to do, or no, tell them what the, no, no matter what the responsibility is, they always have a little better idea. They, they know that you're obsolete. Uh, you don't really have the insight that they have. And so uh, he says, as the Lord lives. Notice that theology he brings to that. What a tremendous insight uh, into human nature and into human character, because as the Lord lives, I'll take something. And uh, he maybe maybe had the theology the TV evangelists are pelting today, the wealth of the sinners laid up for the righteous. You ever hear that one? Or perhaps he, uh, 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 he viewed this as uh, God has arranged this. Maybe he's getting ready to get launched. I don't know. And so he's wanting to secure his future. But regardless of what it is, it's very interesting that he brings a religious and a theological uh, insight to this. Uh, and, uh, and, and he uses the phrases, as the Lord lives, I'm going to do this. So we know that there had to be some kind of religious rationalization or justification in his mind. And uh, he sees Elisha is not doing this, but this needs to be done. And maybe uh, uh, this is his theology, the wealth of the sinners laid up for the righteous. And, and uh, so he seizes upon this uh, and uh, he uses God's favor for self-gratification. Now listen very carefully to me right here. In the book of Second Kings 5, 20, 22, and 23, And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now. Two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. See, he puts this religious spin to it now. Now, this is actually for God. This is for Jehovah because there's two Bible students, actually. They've just arrived, and so we need some clothes for them, and they need a little bit of support. And he says, they've just, uh, uh, please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Now, think how much that would have been in, uh, in uh, Elisha's day. Uh, uh, 19, uh, uh, $19,000, uh, uh, $1,900 rather, 3,800 had been two talents. $1,900 in those days would have been an absolute fortune. And so he brings this to him. And as he presents this to them, he is going to use God's favor for the exploitation of this man for self-gratification. And this is a common problem. It's as old as history. We look in the book of Acts to Simon, the sorcerer. The Bible says Simon believed. Simon was baptized. He sees them laying hands on the, the, uh, the converts and them getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 8, 18 and 19, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, analyze what he's saying there because he's an opportunist just like Gehazi. He sees that this tremendous blessing was impacting human personality and if he can do that, he can make himself a very good living from that because of the exploitation of this and this is laid in history and on this event, there was a word coined which is used today, it's called simony, the sale of God's gifts. This is very common today. 
I won't elaborate on all the various uh, ministries that are doing this, but there's many. You know who they are, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn. You can go on and on. And all you TV freaks, well, you can scrunch up now and, and freeze. <laughs> Very common in crusades. We're advertising crusades. We, we get calls, and they ask us, uh, how much? Uh, do you charge? I need to be prayed for. How much does it cost to be prayed for? This is very common, uh, especially in the religious world. I was up in uh, uh, at Artie's uh, son's funeral and uh, riding back from the uh, where we went out to the gravesite. Uh, Geneva Pete rode with us, and she's uh, she's talking to us, and she began to talk about the medicine men. She said, "Well, the medicine men uh, traditionally." Uh, they would minister, and uh, and what they received was food. You'd give them food, a gift of food. But she says, things have changed now. And she says, they won't even come and appear for less than $1,000. So even the medicine men have uh, moved on up the ladder, you know. <laughs> I No doubt they caught on with Benny Hinn and, uh, and Creflo. And so uh, they thought, these guys can exploit. Why can't we? So what we have here is a principle, and that principle is the, temp, uh, the temptation to self-gratification to exploit the impact that is made on human beings because they genuinely are impacted by God. Can you say amen? Somebody's healed. Uh, I want to tell you I recognized years ago that something more than just a physical healing took place, uh, that there's a spiritual dimension that was imparted there also. And here uh, this impact is made, and there's a tremendous temptation to exploit that and to use that for self-gratification. Sometimes it's not clear-cut. I I remember years ago I was a, a new convert, and uh, there were missionaries that were attending the church where I was saved, uh, they were going to language school. They were going to the mission field. I, I, right from the opening, uh, uh, early days of uh, me as a new convert, uh, my heart beat for missions and evangelism. And uh, th- these were my heroes. These were people that were going to the mission field. These were people that I idolized. And I remember uh, I was uh, uh, deeply moved and uh, I was working a nominal job, didn't have much money or anything. And, uh, but I did have two guns. And so they were getting ready to, to go to the mission field. And uh, one of these was an heirloom that I inherited. My father passed away. Uh, it was a very fine gun. The other was another one that was mine. And so I brought these guns to church one day. And after service, I said to the, this missionary who's getting ready to leave, listen, uh, uh, I've got two guns. Can you use those as you, as you go to the mission field overseas? And he said, uh, well... Uh, yeah, we can use those. And so, you know, I'm an ignorant. I'm a, I'm a young, ignorant kid. I don't, uh, they couldn't even take those guns to the mission field. But they didn't say, well, you know, we can't use these. Uh, uh, they didn't say anything about that. He just took them. I've always wondered where they wound up. I don't, who knows where they wound up. But uh, that was an exploitation of the very thing that I'm talking about. People are deeply impacted by spiritual ministry. And here we have Gehazi. Gehazi's there. His heart is not right. He has no burden for the things that Elisha has a burden for. He is not true and genuine, but there is in his heart a covetousness, and there is that little element that is so dangerous to ministry. And here it comes out, and this is why we have discipleship ministries, because if you're alert, you can pick up some of these things in a disciple. 
Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Now, there's a tremendous temptation tonight to surrender your integrity for greed. I was talking to Pastor Campbell about this. I guess he preached on this a while back. And so uh, think about this now. This, this man's blinded. Greed has laid hold of him. And uh, greed has that ability. Here he is. He's gone. He's lied to, to Naaman. And as he's gone to lie for personal gratification and for the exploitation of this impact that God has made upon his life, he lies. And as he lies, he is lying. And this man who is the disciple maker is the same man that the king of Syria is wanting to invade. And he complains because every time he sets a plot, it's found out. And they finally say, there's nobody that is is uh, uh, revealing these plans but there's a man of God in Israel and what you whisper in your bedroom he knows about now this is the man they talk this is this is Elisha they're talking about and here's this disciple and this disciple uh, uh, is blinded by his greed by his selfishness uh, and this deception and he comes back uh, uh, into the into the into the uh, place where Elisha is and Elisha said where'd you go Gehazi and he said, thy servant went nowhere, lied through his teeth to the man who could hear a whisper in a bedroom. Are you still with me? This is what greed and self-gratification and exploitation will do. And what he did not understand, there's a greater issue here. You see, Gehazi did not follow Elisha's example. Elisha is working towards a principle and a purpose. Here's a man that comes down. This man is not a worshiper of Jehovah God. This man has just been impacted by the power of God. His body has been healed. And in that moment, he says, no longer remain. I know that Jehovah God is the true God. And here, I want to give you these gifts. And Gehazi said, I'm not accepting those. Now think with me concerning the issue here because there's a revelation going to be given to a new convert of God and his ways. And here's Gehazi sees this, but he's got a better idea. Isn't it interesting uh, what, what people will do? I, uh, we've had a, a two or three upheavals in, in, uh, from various times. Uh, I had a man that uh, stole a church uh, seven-year investment in South Africa. You know what his name is, Dave Reese. And so uh, he stole the vehicle. He stole the vehicles. He stole the bank accounts. He stole the equipment. He stole everything. And uh, when I'm trying to bring him to grips to be honest and at least give us back our equipment, uh, here's his rationalization. Listen to this. It's being used for the kingdom. That's what it was given for. I saw a website, our, one of our ladies pulled off of a, a website, uh, Praise Chapel's website, and some pictures on it. And I looked at this group of pictures here. You know, I'm an old man. I've been around a long time. I've seen a lot of chapters. And so I'm looking at this picture, and there's a series of pictures here. And uh, the, uh, the conference uh, that they did is Praise Chapel, if you want to know who it was. And, uh, and the conference that they're doing was uh, Connectivity. 
That was their theme, connectivity. And I'm saying connectivity. That's interesting because here's Larry Neville who stole a registration vehicle, money, bank account, equipment in Singapore. He's there. He ain't looking well. Larry's not looking good. And, uh, and uh, so he influenced uh, uh, John McGovern who stole a registration, two vehicles, equipment, money, the whole shot in, in uh, Hong Kong. Right? He influenced Sammy Morris, who stole 32 churches in the Philippines, which uh, there is no 32 now. It's shriveled down about his size, about seven. Uh, and he's there. <laughs> Howard Pennington's there, who stole a building, uh, equipment, money, etc., cetera, uh, in Kingman, Arizona. And so here they all there. And as I'm looking at this, uh, I'm thinking to myself, connectivity to what? But you see, the heart is deceitful above all things. Greed blinds you. When you begin to function on self-interest, you begin to function on greed. When you begin to function on self-interest, suddenly everything else is pushed aside. Integrity is pushed aside. Principles pushed aside. Everything but self-interest is pushed aside and self-interest rules and here's Gehazi, shoves aside everything he's been taught, everything that he's seen, everything that his exampleship, and for exploitation of an impact that God had done a miracle, he runs after Naaman, lies, receives the gift, and comes back to Elisha. Now, this gives us a need for perspective here. There's always a tension in life between the secular and the spiritual. There's always this tension in life. There's always the tension between the temporal and the eternal. There always is going to be the tension between God and money. It's always going to be there. You're never going to escape it. So we don't know what uh, all that was involved in Gehazi. As I said before, maybe he's getting ready to get launched into ministry. Who really knows? Uh, and maybe he rationalized that uh, this would help him and this uh, would help his ministry. But we see a tremendous lesson here that I want to leave with you tonight uh, in these tensions between the temporal, the eternal, between God and money, between the secular and the spiritual, and that is that time is a key. Listen carefully to me for the next few moments. He comes back to Gehazi, uh, to uh, Elisha, and uh, he says, uh, Elisha said, I, I saw you when uh, you were there. The man turned back, uh, and he spoke to him these words. Uh, Lock this in your mind. Write it in your Bibles. Is it time? This is a key that will serve you well as you're moving in the things of God. Second Kings 5.26, the Bible says that as he brought this back, then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Time is a key principle in God's working with human beings. We have the rich young ruler 
The rich young ruler is there. There is one uh, watershed moment in his life when he comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, the only person he ever said this to, go sell all that you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. This is the only time he ever said that to a single human being and this was a time frame in his life when a decision needed to be made between God and money, between the secular and the spiritual, between the temporal and the eternal. Jesus is training the 12. As he's training the 12, Matthew 10, 9 and 10, he says to them, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now he's training them. He wants to put in them a principle. He wants them to understand and to experience that God will provide. He wants them to learn this lesson. He sends them out. Luke 22, 35 and 36. And he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandal, did you lack anything? They said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Here he's launching them out. And after they've learned this principle, one time he says, I don't want you to take anything. The second time he says, take what is needful and timing is everything tonight in the kingdom of God. This is especially so in the subject of materialism and of money. Ecclesiastes 3, 6 says a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. In 1 Kings 19 and 21, uh, so Elisha turned back from him, this is Elijah, and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Uh, Elisha has his priorities in order. When Elisha is called by Elijah, he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He stops that. He sacrifices the oxen and he boils the instruments, boils the, the, the roast of flesh with the instruments and cuts it loose and he goes to follow Elijah. He became a man that made a decision about money, about materialism, about this world's goods and he had his priorities in place. There's a great lesson here concerning timing I want to leave with you. Down in four more chapters, we find Elisha again. Elisha is up in an area and he gets a message from the king of Syria. Listen to this. So Haziel, the messenger, went to meet him, took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camels loads, and he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? This is four chapters later. In Second Kings 4, he'll take nothing. In Second Kings 8, he reaps a great benefit. And time is everything in the kingdom of God. He has his priorities in order. Now think with me for a moment about the issue that we have here. Gehazi is the next man up. Are you still with me? He is going to take the mantle. He's going to stand. He's going to be the one that is going to be God's representative. He's the next man up to the plate. But that's aborted. And he fails 
in the place that God would have him to be. I was thinking about that. You know, uh, who's going to take the mantle of the next generation should Jesus tarry sitting in this building? Pastor Campbell's getting old. I mean, you look at him, he's, he's fading. <laughs> I have no doubt there's, uh, there's 15 or 20 men and say, I believe I can. Pastor Warner, he's over 50. He's headed on into eternity. There's probably 50 people in here say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I, Pastor Mitchell, going to go be with the Lord someday. Who's going to step up to the plate when we're all gone? Are you listening to me? This is a crucial issue. This is not just some little event. This, this is written for our admonition because Gehazi was the next man that was scheduled to step up to the plate, but he didn't because he failed in this crucial test to use the gift of God for personal gratification, and he failed the test. Jesus gives us some direction in Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 33. He says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, But seek first, listen to this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. The greatest indictment of all time is written in the book of James. It is a prophecy and it is an indictment. It's James 5, 1 through 3. Come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. This is the greatest indictment. It is a prophetic insight of the generation before the coming of the Lord And in our generation, as in Jesus' generation, money has become the authentication for validity, for direction, and for reward. Luke 16 was written for our generation. Read it. That's Jesus' statement concerning money. Here's Gehazi. Here's the man who went nowhere. Actually, he did go somewhere, but uh, spiritually, he went nowhere. He moved from destiny next up to the plate. He's the next generation. He's to carry the mantle, and he moves from that to leprosy in one decision that he made in life. Second Kings 8, we find him again. He's up in the court of the king of Syria. As he's there, we find him, and he's a spiritual gigolo. He's a religious prostitute. He's kept on staff to amuse the king of Syria, telling about the miracles of Elisha. From destiny to leprosy to a spiritual prostitute. Because he made a decision, and that decision was wrong. Paul says in Galatians 5, 7, you did run well. Who has hindered you 
And it's a picture of someone who seemed to be leading the pack, but suddenly, out of the uh, uh, nowhere, something happens, and they're out of the running. Someone, the word actually means somebody cut in front of you and cut you off, cause you to stumble. I remember in the Olympics some years ago, it was a Mary Slaney that she's leading, and somebody struck her heel. She fell and uh, lost that race and never has never uh, surfaced again. This is a picture that Paul's writing, and as he writes it, he writes to you and I tonight, and I want to say to you tonight, who does hinder you? You did run well. See, there's many a man like Gehazi. Gehazi is not someone who is just a run-of-the-mill Uh, apparently Elisha saw something in Gehazi that was of great promise. But Gehazi was hindered. And he was hindered by his own decisions concerning the exploitation of the gift of God for money. Some years ago, a man had been uh, calling me. He was pleading with me to back him. He wanted to go overseas. Would I take him under support? And the events were not correct at that time. He, uh, time went on. And so there came a time when it would have been very advantageous. This man spoke the language that needed to be spoken in the place where uh, I was willing to invest in. I called him and I said to him, I've got this opportunity and I want to know if you're interested in this. And he said, yes, yes, I, I, yes, I'm interested, I'm interested. So I said, well, uh, uh, what's your uh, situation in finances and uh, in debt and so on? Can you be free uh, in a month's time? Well, he said, uh, you know, I've bought an SUV, and the payments are, uh, I think, 400 and something dollars a month. And he said, I bought a house, and... Uh, uh, this is an exorbitant sum. And he said, you know, I'd have to liquidate this and I'd have to sell the house. And, I've had, and I said, no, I need somebody now. And he said, well, I, you know, there's just no way that I could do that. And I, I said, then uh, thank you. Is, uh, uh, I can't use you then. Now, this man was in a church that time. He, I believe he genuinely did have a burden for overseas ministry. He had the qualifications. He had the language. He had some experience. And I believe that he might today be doing a work for God. But I had to send someone else because he could not liquidate to meet the need of the time frame. His debt was too great. There's no way that he could ever get loose from that. Uh, The house payment, he couldn't rent the house. He would have to sell it. That's an intangible. Uh, The SUV, this, uh, you know, SUVs cost a lot of money. And there's no way he could handle that. This man later, uh, he, he, he had affiliation with someone who influenced him adversely after that. He left the church he was in, left the fellowship. I'm not sure he's even still going to church. He's certainly not in the ministry. And I think back on that and this example, what if this man had governed himself? He would not have put money first. You know, you can say all you want to. Uh, uh, say, uh, you know, you can't serve God. I'm not serving money. I want to tell you, I'm not serving mammon. But if you can't respond to a need that God puts before you, then you're serving money. No matter how much rationalization you're going to put before it. And I've just told the story 
of 99% of Christians who say, I want to do something for God. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.